As we come back together for the fall, a lot of us have been, well, we kind of quiet down the schedule in the fall, I mean in the summer. And now we're coming back together and a lot of us have come back together. I just want to take a moment to recognize and maybe feel gratitude for the earth. She is around us everywhere, under our feet, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink. If we can just feel that we are never not supported by her. In fact, we are, we are impossible without her. And that that connection is our birthright. Every one of us. And to feel into gratitude to the many ancestors that made it possible for us to be here. The many lineages and traditions in this room. Many complexities. And other people made it possible for us to be together today. And still do. May each of us who wishes to do so honor and invite them, recognize them, appreciate them. Communicate with him. And for our ancestors of this tradition who have kept it alive generation after generation. So that we could learn about the Dharma. brought it to this country, who entrusted people here to care for it, may we all take seriously that trust and handle this practice with gentle, compassionate caring, trustworthy hands. I want to talk a little bit about um, our coming back together. 
And um, because there are so many people here, I don't think I'm the only one who recognizes the preciousness of Sangha. To speak from my own, um, my own place in this, I, I cannot imagine my life without Sangha. I cannot imagine what it would be to orient myself without Sangha. I'd still be trying to figure it out alone in some broke, delusional way, full of rationalizations and really good stories about who I am. Some very convincing stories. also just appreciate one another, that, um, that we are here for each other, and that also, I think this is the, um, not always the easy part, that we can little by little tiny bits begin to trust that. Some of us have been together a while and we trust it. Some of us are new and maybe we kind of trust it, maybe we want to trust it, maybe we don't want to trust community, but, um, and all of those, that trusting and not trusting and, and, and suspicion, I have, I am confident that it is all rooted in historical wisdom and deserves to be honored. Most human communities are not terribly trustworthy. Ours will be in some ways, and in other ways it won't be, and we should um, take care of ourselves in a way so that we don't give up our own wisdom. And we should also recognize, and this is not an easy thing to navigate, that we have some orientations that are kind of old habit around this, and we can maybe relax around. And so, you know, the, it's, it's when we come together as a, we think about it as a spiritual community, but we're a community also that is um, letting each other crash on our couches when we need it, and uh, is trying to pay attention. And this is the part I want to encourage. Pay attention to the needs in our community, the real, tangible, material needs of people that we may not even know. We may not know that Sangha members living in Jersey have had, have struggled to have clean water for weeks because of the breakdown in the water system. And what is that for them? And are we curious? And how can we help? And that some Sangha members are struggling with um, work, and other Sangha members are struggling with violence and biases in our culture, society. (coughs) 
What is it to be vulnerable enough to express those needs and what is it to be vulnerable enough to be there for their expression? To slow down enough. And I know some people have felt that those haven't been met and we can't always meet them. At least not in, 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 a, in the whole way they eventually need to be met. But we can show up for each other in the best way that we can with that intention. And I believe we do. But to not lose sight of that, and to not lose sight of the value of a community of people who share the intention of looking at the way their mind falls into uh, rigid habits that convince us that we are special, separate, worse, whatever it is from each other, so that when we meet each other and we have, because I don't think, you know, we have a commitment to no harm and to peace, I don't think peace means nothing happens. I think lots of stuff happens. Lots of stuff happens, and um, and when there's tension, and when there's pain, and when there's conflict, how do we come together with both of us looking at our side, so that we can take responsibility to the best that we can for what's going on between us, which may be coming from whole lineages of pain and confusion that we didn't choose. And then there's this very humble, sometimes frustrating situation of having to take responsibility for a line of suffering that we didn't choose. But if we're taking up the Bodhisattva path, if we're taking up the path for the liberation of all beings, that is the choice we're making. We're making the choice to be one of the ones who metabolizes the karma of humanity. What do I mean? I mean there are these habit patterns of violence in the world, in us, and we're choosing to do what the Buddha asked, which is to cultivate a body and mind that can experience that that can can experience the fruits of that karma, that can experience the pain of it coming up in us, the reactivity, the wanting to protect ourselves, all of the things that comes up, and is still, recognizes it, and the only way for a karmic, this is a very counterintuitive thing, but the only way for a karmic pattern to stop is to do nothing. And what meaning that if I plant a seed of a behavior in me, or if a seed of a behavior is planted in me by a context, and then at some point it comes up in my mind, it comes to fruition, meaning that it's asking me to act on it again. At that moment, I have to cultivate, this is what meditation and zazen does, I have to cultivate a mind and body and heart that can be with that fruit, that karmic fruit lovingly, 
mindfully aware and let it fall back again without acting on it unconsciously. Because the moment we act on it unconsciously, we strengthened it again, and it's back in us and in the world. So we're the ones looking, and many people are. It's not just this tradition, but, but in this tradition, we're the ones looking. That's what the tradition is asking of us. That's what the practice is asking of us. And so we have this um, very, as the scriptures say, very rare opportunity, very precious moment to do it together. And one of the ways we're doing it together is some of you saw yesterday and some of you are maybe new, so there'll be a stop and then you can ask questions if you have questions about anything I'm saying um, or anything here that I'm not saying. We sent out a practice period commitment form, I believe yesterday. And um, it's just asked people to clarify for themselves how they're going to devote themselves to practice during this fall. And then we send it in to the practice leaders, not because, um, only because it gives you a witness. Gives you another witness to what your intentions are. And usually practice period, we just ask people to turn, turn it up a little bit, whatever they kind of do, just maybe add a class or add 10 minutes to their zazen or whatever it is to, or, or even it might not be adding nothing. It may be just being consistent with what you're already intending to do, but maybe it isn't so consistent. And then we can have, a, we have practice buddies, and um, those practice buddies, people choose a practice buddy for the practice period, oftentimes. Some people have just kept them. They have not stopped. And we talk with that person occasionally about our intentions and how it's working out. In a, in a peer discussion. Some people call it practice discussion, but I think it's very confusing to call a peer discussion practice discussion. So, because that's something else. And, they have, and, and then we have conversations about it and we support each other in that way. So it's a way of supporting each other. So if you want to, I encourage you to fill one of those out because it's, um, it's kind of fun to lay out your, what you want to do. But be realistic. <laughs> this is New York City. Please be realistic. New Yorkers love to do more stuff. Um, treat this as the foundation of the other stuff you do, not more stuff. And then we will have, we will invite someone to be head student this practice period. So this just means we invite a person who's been practicing a while to tiptoe into 
having a more um, forward relationship to teaching in the Sangha. It's part of the process of how people are matured through Zen. There is, there is a, um, Zen can be very, I, I, I always feel like I am apologizing for this, but it really has a reason. <laughs> Zen can seem very daunting. Um, it can seem very formal. It can, um, and I, I won't say it isn't. It, it has that aspect to it. Although, believe it or not, this center is really informal compared to a lot of Zen centers. It may not look that way when all these robes are on. Um, many Zen centers would never have this like total mess of cushions like this. <laughs> I just completely lost where I was. Daunting, thank you, Camille. You do have a very good memory. <laughs> um, it may seem daunting, but there is this, um, it starts out with the forms, just, just the forms, the customs of the center, which is just, we, you do something a certain way. And, and it's not, I can't emphasize this enough, it's not a certain way because it's right or it's wrong. It's not right or wrong. What would be right about bowing in one direction versus another direction or wrong about it? Who would be the decision maker about that? We're just bowing one way versus the other. We could just as easily choose to do the other thing. So forget anything that comes up in the kind of anxiety-producing right-wrong mind Use that as an opportunity to see that mind, rather than think there's actually something foundationally right or wrong about something. Most of these things are existing just so that we can, um, I think for two reasons. One is the one I just mentioned, which is they're mirrors to the mind. The other one is it's harmonious. You know, there's some way that it's just easier when there's 70 people in a zendo to have ways of doing things, to have some sense of custom. So it's, um, and, and, I'll add a third, there is a, an opportunity to care for the form, to care for the, the way we're moving through space the way it's done, to care for it, not become rigid about it. Some Zen students will do this. It's just what happens is once they learn it, then they're really, this is the right way to do it. They become obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but obnoxiousness is a phase of the practice, so we have, we have big hearts around that, too. Um, so there is, a, um, there is this ability to care for it, and in caring for it, and we begin to be able to rest in it. And when we begin to be able to rest in it, then we start to be able to be free. And we often don't give ourselves this opportunity in our everyday life to actually rest in what we're doing. We don't, some of you may do this, but oftentimes probably we're not resting in everybody cramming in through the subway door. It's probably not first witnessed as an opportunity for resting. But if there is a form 
about the way we move through the subway door. Actually, we can start to rest. If we make a commitment to ourselves that I am not going to fall into the belief that all of us need to cram through the subway door right now, but instead have a form, a really radical form, is let everyone go first. That may not be possible because sometimes there's too many people to get on the train, so we have to be realistic. But, um, but if that's an opportunity, that's an interesting form. And then there really is an opportunity to rest. If I know, if I'm not even deciding, I just know every time I show up to the subway door, I'm letting everybody go first. And then I'll go on. Or I'll go, I don't know, you'll find your form. You'll decide what works for you. That's one possibility. But the point is, is to have these kinds of customs so that we begin to understand, so that the decision-making thing that makes us anxious, and oftentimes we're making decisions for things we don't really, it's not that important which way it goes. Sometimes it's extremely important which way it goes, but sometimes it's not that important. We're just addicted to the anxiety of decision-making. We could just as easily relax and let it be what the other seven people want to do. So we have these forms, and then they move, then they, then they shift. Then once you kind of are resting a little bit in the forms, or depending on the need of the center, even before you are fully rested, we start giving roles. Roles are given to people, and the first roles that are given to people are things like um, sounding the Han. It's low, low stakes. Start out with low stakes. Although everything, for whatever reason, in this context feels like high stakes when you first do it. I'm sounding a piece of wood. If I do it wrong, the entire city's going to collapse. And it's going to be my fault. Um, and everyone will be angry, and they'll notice. Quick um, thing, if you're ever on any of these sounding things, the majority of people do not notice if you make a mistake. <laughs> I promise you. Um, and then you turn it up, and you turn it up, and you have slightly more. You get put on doan, and you deal with perfectionism. You put on the kokyo and the chant, and deal with your constraints around your voice, and all of that fear, and it goes on and on and on. And, your Eno, and then everybody doesn't like you because the Eno tells everyone what to do, and they're really annoying, and the Tenzel, who's in charge of the kitchen, doesn't know how to cook, and doesn't do it the way it should be done, and da, 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 da. And so you slowly get put into these things that increase the projection of the Sangha, the, the, um, the responsibility. All of those things happen. And the whole thing is built to do exactly that. So while people are looking at them going, wow, they have an authority position, and da, 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 they don't realize they're kind of in the hell spot. They're not in the, they have authority, but it's the hell spot. And then they become, and this all was coming around to, and at one point somebody becomes head student. And now all of that various training that really has to do with releasing from our rigid mind and being vulnerable in the world. 
It's really the only thing. You just have to give up over and over and over. If somebody hates you as the Eno you have, at some point you just have to be able to instead... You run around trying to make everything right for everybody. Or you get angry at everybody and get rigid, whatever your thing is. Until you stop, until that becomes impossible. And then you drop the habit, at least some, and we start to feel into what is it to show up with each person as a compassionate body, knowing that we are not going to be able to make the world perfect for this mind, and then again for this mind, and then again for this mind. That actually the most respectful thing we can do is let them have their karma and support them in it. Let them have their habits and support them in seeing those habits. If we get enmeshed with each other and try to fix each other's karmic patterns, that is just does not end up well. That looks like the workplace or <laughs> or, or family or somewhere else. So I want to, I guess this is just a talk of encouraging everybody wherever they are to enter in the way that feels all right for you right now. And if what feels all right for you right now is to kind of sneak in here and sit once a month and sneak back out because you don't want to talk to anybody, fine. That's good. If your life has been such that caution has been the wiser path, then that is where you'll start. If your life has been such that jumping into the middle of things has been the path, then that is where you'll start. Neither one is more correct. All of them have their wonderful, wholesome parts and their less-than-wholesome parts. So wherever you are, and this is, you know, Suzuki Roshi always said this, he always said, who's the founder of this, our lineage in the United States, he always said, when, when you are you, Zen is Zen, and that is the truth. And it doesn't mean when you are you, although this is, this is a part of it, it doesn't mean when you are merged with your karmic habits unconsciously, Zen is Zen, that's not what it means. But it means when we show up in a moment with as much clarity as we have, with the intention to, to see how we're stuck in causing harm with everyone, when we're not repressing parts of ourselves or keeping ourselves away, but bring it forward with honesty. Forward with honesty in a way that we're taking responsibility for it, not just splashing it on people. What people often call tough love, where you're just splashing your stuff all over everyone. Um, no. But bringing it forward in a responsible way wholly as a whole being that says, you know, I'm here, but I'm terrified of this place. I'm here, but I don't trust this place. I'm here, but I'm so enthusiastic, I'm about to burn myself out. I'm here, all of that. Then we can actually be a sangha together in a real world of real people. <laughs> 
instead of living half-honest lives. And we will all fail at it. I do it all the time. Thank you for coming back for the fall. Thank you for supporting this practice and each other. Every person here is precious. Full stop. More than probably you have any idea about yourself. I would, having talked to people for a few years now, I would say that no one I have ever met realizes how precious they are. And you're no big deal. <laughs> At the same time. Okay. Any thoughts? The container is the way we talk about, so there's this, you've probably heard this term to snake in a bamboo tube. Have you heard this term? This is a big Zen term, is that our practice is like putting a snake in a bamboo tube. And um, the reason is, is these forms are in place and these ways are doing things in place, and then we, we just say yes to them. So somebody, the Eno says, do it this way. Whatever comes up in your mind, just do it. Right? And that's the container. So we have all these karmic preferences. If I'm left, I was talking about somebody was talking to somebody about this this morning. Is what happens when you're left alone in your apartment for a day, right? What do you do? You, unless unless we've been in this practice for a while, we kind of follow our karmic inclinations. Some of those are good for us. And some are after we're said and done with the pint of ice cream, maybe not. <laughs> You know, or whatever, or the Netflix drift, or whatever we do, right? And um, the container, the forms, the schedule, the schedule is the container, right? If you're gonna, if you, we were residential together, the schedule is the container. In a sashin, in a retreat, the schedule is the container, and the forms are the container. You don't have a choice. You do the next thing with everybody else. You don't get to say, hey, I'm gonna go do this. You just do, everybody is the same thing. That's the container. The schedule's containing us, we're containing each other by being with the schedule, and what it's ultimately containing is our karma. It's keeping us from just doing whatever we're inclined to do. So we have this mind, usually, that's rebelling against the container. In fact, it's one of the reasons Zen is hard to enter in the first place, because people look at it and they go, I don't want to do that. Who does? You know, I mean, who really, who, don't, who wants to do this? Who wants to put themselves coming in? Who wants to put themselves in this stranglehold of a schedule for seven days straight? You know, and or five days or whatever it is, or for three months or whatever you choose, um, and 
watch your conditioning bounce around all over the place until you realize you can, it quiets down and you can start resting and there's a whole bunch of freedom there. But that is not obvious at first glance. So that's what people are talking about when they're talking about the container. Um, the spaciousness is what begins to happen when the karma quiets down. Is that we start to feel the mind relaxes, doesn't feel the need to grab every single inclination that arises. It can let it come and fall and come and fall and come and fall. And we go, oh, look, there that goes again. You know, and um, sometimes it grabs, does not feel spacious, sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't, then it also stops grasping things like the idea, my mind is this little anxious thing behind my eyes, or whatever it is, heavy conditioned. Athletes are not always often conditioned that way. They have different experience often. But, um, but um, if, that's the, if that's the way that you feel self, right, wherever you feel it tight, those boundaries start to soften. And then there is, then mind feels much broader until eventually, you know, what can happen is the realization that what I am experiencing as um, body and mind is everything that's arising right now. It doesn't have a limit. There's no limit to my mind. I don't, I'm not, I never walk down the street and run into the end of my mind. It includes everything that's arising all the time. And the artificial line we draw between the part of our mind that we consider self and the part of our mind we consider others and other things is a projection. It can't ultimately be found. And when that's clear, then there's nothing but space. And some people talk about silence also, like spaciousness and silence. They're two ways of talking about the same thing, because the spaciousness is, the spaciousness is um, everything being included. And once everything is included, the mind can fully rest, because it's no longer having a neurotic relationship to what it sees as other. I need to get that. I need to push that away. It's on me. So then it can just quiet down. And it doesn't have to do things all the time, except respond compassionately to what's in front of it, which it will do by itself if it's not acting in this neurotic, dualistic way. So that's why the container and the spaciousness are so we can't really get to spaciousness, except in very specific conditioned things like, we had a really good night and I felt really spacious. But spaciousness is a way of being. We have to constrain karma so that we can see it clearly, so that we can understand its roots and its causes, so that we can begin to relax around it, so that we can start. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean our karma just vanishes. Some of it will go away won't come up again. But a lot of it keeps coming up. It's just we don't react to it. 
because we've been trained to be still with it, because we've been trained to bow with it, because we've been trained to wash dishes with it, because we've been trained to do everything with our karma going like this. And then we start having space around it. No more? We're done? Okay. I have to listen to the email. This is... It's her role. Okay. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.